Safety Task Force podcast is arming you with the necessary tools to combat safety in our fast-paced, dynamic world. Our interviews bring you the latest and greatest safety solutions from industry experts. If you're new to the industry or looking for ways to expand your knowledge and stay up to date with global safety trends, this podcast is for you. This is Emily, and on this week's episode of Safety Task Force, I am talking with Horace Lewis. Hi, Horace. Hello, Emily. How are you doing today? I'm well. How are you? It's good. We're starting the morning off well. Yes. Well, Horace, tell us a little bit about yourself and your role at Space Guard Products. I started with Space Guard uh, in 1989. I was hired as a CAD operator back when we were when they were still called Ford Wire Products in Indianapolis, Indiana. I learned the product from the ground up, so from the raw material side all the way up to the finished goods. Uh, It was my job to develop a CAD program with drawings of all the parts and because they they did not have that at the time. So um, so I did that and worked in customer service all the way up until 2001. I worked my way up to customer service manager at that time. Right after that, I was moved to outside sales where I managed uh, our warehouse in uh, Nevada and also did West Coast sales. I was the uh, West Coast regional sales manager, which was very, uh, uh, also helped me with learning the industry. I already knew the product from, uh, from 12 years prior, but now I got to learn the industry more by getting out and seeing and talking to individuals. Shortly after that, in 2004, I uh, was promoted to vice president of operations and moved back to the main office in Seymour, Indiana. We were a growing company at that time. We were making some changes, trying to make product improvements. I had a lot of knowledge. We had a lot of new people. So it was a good time for the president at that time to uh, move me to that position. And uh, after 30 years, which is amazing, uh, with the company in 2019, I was uh, now promoted to vice president of emerging markets. We at that time started uh, dividing the market up in sectors, and with my vast knowledge of the product and a lot of the uh, industry I had been dealing with, the president at the time thought I'd be a great fit. With that specific market, uh, I was concentrating, or I am concentrating, on data centers across the U.S., which I manage. I don't want to really say manage, but I am the main key contact when it comes to data center quotes and orders and question and answer sessions. Um, Another key market I'm dealing with is uh, tenant storage lockers in major metropolitan markets. Uh, specifically uh, New York and New Jersey, which is a thriving market for uh, tennis storage. And then I also have a few select corporate accounts, which need a little bit more attention than than others. And uh, I have a pretty good even temperament, which allows me to better handle some of those accounts. So (laughs) there I am working on 31 years. Awesome. Well, you mentioned data centers. So tell us a little bit about what exactly a data center is. Sure. Well, when you go look it up online, because everybody's uh, exact definition is just a little bit different, but what it all comes down to is a data center is a dedicated space where computing 
and networking equipment are, are concentrated and their sole purpose is, is collecting data, storing data, processing data, distributing data, and then of course allowing access to a large amounts of data. So what that there's four different types of data centers, and I'll go over those real briefly, because with these different types, kind of explains who uses them. So the, the bigger scale is called an enterprise data center. Uh, an enterprise data center, that's a privately built and owned facility that is built specifically for data center use. So the, the infrastructure is very detailed. They have uh, usually have three foot raised tile floors in them where all their cooling and air is and wiring is run across the bottom of the floor. And they're built very secure, very sound, and very sturdy. Examples of people that would build these and use these are like big companies like uh, AWS, Amazon, uh, Microsoft, Google, Apple. Places like this obviously do a lot of data processing. So they have their own facilities with all their own equipment in it that they manage 24-7. And then the next down from there would be like managed services data centers. Now, these data centers are kind of like the same building as the enterprise data centers are, but they are managed, these facilities are managed by third parties, uh, like third party uh, managed service providers. Like a lot of small companies such as ourselves, we hire a outside uh, IT services who manages our network for us and they manage our servers. And so our servers would be in one of their facilities so that, the, a lot of equipment in their facilities is leased. A lot of small companies can't afford or don't have it in their budgets to buy and uh, maintain servers the proper way. So then you hire one of these IT companies, they do all that for you. So these managed service data centers are, once again, centers like the big ones, but they're just managed by third parties and people are leasing the equipment in these buildings instead of buying it. And then you have the co-location data centers. Some people refer to them as colos instead. Those are data centers that are used are more local to uh, a lot of smaller cities and bigger cities as well. But they are used by, uh, they are owned by others and the space is rented out in these data centers. So what that would be is, once again, uh, a company that has the need for maybe a few servers and racks and they do have their own IT staff, but they don't necessarily have the space within their building. So then they would rent space at these colo centers. And when they get to these colo centers, that's where all their equipment is. And then they have access to their equipment 24 seven. So they have access to the building and access to their own equipment. They manage their own equipment. They can get in and out as they please. And once again, their equipment is in a secure facility and it's with a lot of redundancies for backups and things like that. So that's that's what colos are. And then very last is a cloud data center. Everybody's heard of the cloud now. Everything's in the cloud. You know when right. you sign up with uh, when you sign up with Microsoft and Amazon, you know, where all these applications are hosted in the cloud. You know, they tell you when you're when you're taking pictures on your phone, when your Apple phone, or everything's held in the cloud. So those are called cloud data centers and. A lot of those are offered by the services you're using. 
So like um, when you're doing, uh, when you have a Apple phone, right? When you have, uh, when you have your music for Apple music, I don't have an Apple phone, but I hear it all the time through my 15 right. year old. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you have all your music and your pictures stuff, it's stored in the cloud and Apple, you're, you're paying a small fee in some instance, if you want to uh, have that space a little bit bigger, you want to have a 10,000 pictures instead of thousands. So you pay for a little <laughs> bit more space. They host it for you. It's always safe and secure for the most part. And you can get to it at any time. So there's a uh, probably a little bit more longer winded than I should have uh, description <laughs> of data centers and who uses them. No, that's good information. So out of the four different types, those are actually, they're located all over, right? Like there's not one particular city or one place they're they're kind of spread up all over the u.s right you are correct you're correct they're all over because uh nowadays uh data centers are used more and more with the, a lot more online shopping and things like that going on so yes the the big enterprise data centers they're in like a lot of larger cities um where space is available to build these big uh, large facilities and but there are you know, they're in Chicago they're in Texas they're in New York they're in Washington they're in California yeah, you can find them everywhere it's just the same as Colo so yes they're they're all everywhere spread across the United States and abroad of course okay when does a data center typically buy cages uh, that's a good question when they're starting a new data center or renovating a space uh, that's become a co-location center. Uh, a lot of times they'll start by having a couple of maybe two to maybe 10 or so, uh, small cages set up, uh, first of all, to house some of their own equipment and then to, to showcase for when they're, so when other people are coming to look, looking for space, they can say, Hey, here, here's the kind of facility we got. They'll show off their facility, first of all, the security of it, getting into the facility, things like that. And then once inside, they'll tell them, where their where their racks would be held and how they would be secured from others uh, while walking around through through the facility. So, like I said, they'll buy a handful just to get started, and then after that, they buy partitions or they'll buy more materials as the spaces are being filled. So as they uh, as they acquire more tenants, they'll buy more materials to build more cages or more suites as some of them would call them for each renter because sometimes some renters want more space uh, spaces can be as small as a six by eight cell to a 40 by 40 foot uh cage because uh bigger tenants have more servers and have more space so they want more so they'll do a custom build so they build them to suit the space of the renter all right so why do data centers use cages versus like they could always put up walls to separate these rooms, right? Is there a certain reason they use the wire mesh? Well, yes, yes. Of course, wire mesh is more modular and easier to put up and not as dirty when you're trying to, uh, airflow is necessary and ventilation in a data center. You gotta have cool airflow and you gotta have heat, gotta be just, dissipated or discharged so when you try to start building uh, walls if you will uh, like um, plaster walls or CMU it's it's time-consuming it's dirty it's dusty and it's just not 
uh, cost effective. So when you're using wire mesh partitions, they're very, uh, first of all, you get the ventilation you need. They're very modular. You can get the panel sizes made to back any size of cage you want, and you can usually have a cage up in, in a half a day or a day's time, depending on the size size of the cage needed. So wire mesh partition is just a better uh, option all the way around for data centers for both ventilation, modularity, and ease of access and ease of re reconfiguring as well. Because once you have a cage up, you may start with an eight by eight cage, but maybe that tenant is growing and they're wanting more space. So uh, you can enlarge that cage by simply moving down a couple panels, taking out a couple panels, adding some to the side, making the cage from eight by eight to eight by 12. It's a lot easier and you can make that happen in less than a day. Okay. So what types of wire partitions are used inside the data centers? That's kind of determined by the user or the renter of the space. Uh, some data centers uh, will offer, most will offer the standard mesh, which is they'll want, say, a standard opening size of two inch square, and they've got a standard eight by eight cage. So they're used to having something that's um, maybe single-sided or double-sided, if you will. When I say double-sided or single-sided, it's like our Ford Logan product. The Ford Logan product looks the same inside and out. So there's no really, uh, uh, the, the, the wire mesh looks the same inside as it does outside. Whereas in our beast wire or angle frame product, you have what's called an outside and an inside. Some customers like to have that look of uh, the wire mesh, the way it looks on both sides, not a big deal. And others just want to have a cleaner look from the outside only. And so they'll go with our beast wire style or the angle frame style. Now, there's a lot of different styles of wire out there. What it all comes down to is it's still wire mesh uh, in the end, and they all pretty much go up the same. You're going to bolt them together in some form, in some manner, and still produce the same size or footprint of cage you want, regardless of what type of wire mesh you were using. Okay. Uh, I don't, that may not have given you the best explanation, but, uh, but you know. No, I think that. Show these. Yeah, I think that makes sense. What actually dictates like what size of mesh would be used inside the data center? Like, is that particular to the customer or um, do you see it different? Does one data center maybe have different styles of mesh all throughout it because of different customers or? Uh, yes, yes. You will go into some data centers and see a who's who of wire mesh inside of them, especially in the co-location co side. Because uh, some of these places, they'll go in and they'll start with one type of mesh and then uh, they'll, as they grow, they'll have another customer come in and they'll say, hey, well, I've seen this mesh at this place. I've used it at my place. So this is the one that I want because I'm used to it. So you'll go in and you'll see different types of wire mesh in there sometimes. Obviously, when I go in there, I'm trying to sell them on all of my stuff. But in the end, they'll buy whatever they're used to. Uh, and when you talk about sizes, most start with a minimum of 10 gauge of wire. That's what they want. 10, 10 gauge of carbon steel wire. And then when you get into the size of the opening, some the standard is more of like a two inch square, which is what we offer, or an inch and a half diamond pattern. Nowadays, people are asking for a little bit tighter mesh. When I say tighter mesh, they want a tighter opening. So instead of a two-inch opening, they'll want a one-inch opening in the wire mesh or a half-inch opening in the wire mesh uh, because they're trying to limit the size 
of potential space that things can be passed through the mesh or underneath the mesh. So they won't want what we call a sweep space at the bottom. They'll want the panels to go all the way to the finished floor and then sometimes under the floor uh, or above the floor. But so the types of mesh and style is usually dictated by the person that is renting or going to be using the space inside. If that person or that company has no recommendation or has no specs, then using the data center itself will say, okay, hey, well, this is what we're used to using. This is what works best. And this is what the majority of are. So, and a lot of customers will say, I'm fine. I'm fine with that. Just as long as I know that uh, no one's going to be getting access to my materials inside of my space. Okay. Are the gates and slide doors, are those kind of the same with the size of the mesh where the, the customer picks that? Or is that more of a, a standard that people kind of consider using a gate versus a slide? Very good question once again. Now that comes down to uh, the size of the, the type of data sense being used. Some of these co-locations or co-locations people call them very tight spaces. They're, they're existing buildings downtown that have been converted. So they try to squeeze as many tenants as they can into a single level. And sometimes the aisles are pretty tight in those specific floors. So when you have very tight aisles, you're walking down to get to each cage. Uh, having a swing door sometimes doesn't work because it, their aisles are so tight that the swing doors can't open up all the way. Or when you do have a swing door open, other people can get down through the aisle. So some of the smaller co-locations will want sliding doors. And that's only so that they can have aisle space. Uh, but most nowadays that are design builds, they're asking for swing doors and they're usually the sizes or start as a 48 inch wide by 96 inch high. That's the growing trend now. And that is so some of the racks that people are putting in the server, uh, these cages now are a lot bigger. So when you use a 48 inch by 96 inch door, that allows you to roll racks in and out of the cage units without having to disassemble them. If you had only like a three by seven and some of these racks are pretty hard, you have to assemble the racks once you get them inside. Now, once you got them inside and they're assembled, now you can't get them out without disassembling them. So right. if you use a 48 by 96, it's a lot easier to get equipment in and out of these cages a lot easier. Plus the other reason some will like swing doors is a lot of these centers want access control. When I say access control, they want to be able to monitor who has access to these cages. So which means they'll want to get some kind of like electric strike or magnetic lock on these doors so that they can they can control who goes in and out of them. They're either with fingerprinting, eye, uh, code, uh, swipe cards, however. And that way they can monitor and part of their building security who's going in and out of these cages in case there's ever an issue. Uh, hinge doors have a lot more options when it comes to access control because a lot of people like a lot of different types and style of access equipment. Whereas the slide doors, they don't give you that many options for access control. So swing doors are now the thing. All right. What other types of security are used in these facilities? Other than providing a cage for a server rack. Well, right. some of these, uh, a lot of this gear, they, the security is getting more tighter and tighter. So they're putting what they call man traps in at all 
uh, entry points. When I say man trap, that's um, like they'll put wherever you're entering the building. Uh, once you get inside the building, there's another cage that's could be anywhere from eight by eight to 12 by 12 that you'll enter once you enter the building. And that allows them to kind of not really sequester, but as people come in, that allows them to not be able to go any further than this security area so that they can be uh, verified who they are, uh, but it's still allowing the airflow through the building. So without, once again, building uh, permanent walls, uh, they can modify or reconfigure these man traps as they need to as well. They'll also put these man traps around all exit doors. You know, these big buildings have to have exit doors every so often. So just in case, normally they don't have handles on the outside of the exit door to get in, but just in case, they'll put a small uh, security, we call man trap or a small security cage, which might be, you know, six by six or four by four at every exit door. So just in case somebody does exit and they don't close the door all the way or something, no one else can come back in. What they do, they can't get past the man trap that's there. So once again, that's another great place uh, for added wire mesh partitions within these facilities. I think that's about, I think that's all I can think of at this time, storage uses. All right. So I also read that the wire mesh could sometimes go below or above ceiling tiles in these facilities. So when and where is that ever required? Well, when they're building the newer facilities, they're building them very secure. So they're building the internal walls are, are, are made and built to go from the slab up to the finished ceiling. So there's no way to get from the outside of the building into the actual server cages uh, by digging, if you will, because the slabs go from wall to wall, or from uh, the walls go from slabs to the ceiling above. But every now and then, that won't be the case. So, especially in some of the uh, older buildings that haven't been built by, by design. So, the tenant that's occupying this space may say, "Well, I want to make sure nobody can get in through your raised tile floor." from underneath one unit to another to get into my unit. So at that instance, uh, that renter or that user will request for the space underneath the raised tile floor that can be anywhere from 24 inches to 36 inches to be secured as well in their footprint of their cage. Uh, and then that goes the same with the overhead. Uh, most of these places have drop, uh, drop ceiling tiles, but there is a small space above the drop ceiling tiles to the to the roof line or to the ceiling above. So they'll want that space secured as well so that no one can go overhead, go up, get above the ceiling tiles, crawl across and drop down into their cage. So some of these places are really, really, uh, some of the renters are really, really more security conscious than others and they just don't want to have anybody get in the end of their uh, structure above. Now, the ones who want to go ahead and put a ceiling on their cage uh, right. That's that's an option. So when you put a ceiling on your cage, when I say sure, a wire mesh ceiling, then there's no need to secure the space above the ceiling tiles. So it kind of depends on how much uh, overhead space is available in the actual center that they're putting in. 
and how much, uh, because in a lot of these centers, you have cable trays and a lot of things, especially with co-locations, they're overhead more so than underneath the race top floor. So you got all these cable trays and piping and conduit stuff going overhead. You don't exactly have a lot of space up there to put a ceiling, wire mesh ceiling on because there's too many obstructions. So in that instance, they'll say, okay, we'll just take it up through the ceiling tiles and go all the way up. To the structure above rather than putting a wire mesh top on my existing cage. Okay, that makes sense. Are there any other trends that you're seeing with new data centers recently? Well, uh, as I, I think I may have mentioned early on that a lot more, there's a lot more online services being provided now in this day and age. Uh, a lot of people are offering services or selling products online. So as that increases, um, more server capacity is needed. So when more server capacity is needed, more space is needed. Uh, where a company may have, uh, their online sales may have only been like a 10 or 20% of their sales. They may have only had, you know, just a couple of servers that were maybe in their back corporate office. But now online sales may be more 50% of their business sales. So now they need more server capacity. So now they no longer can operate that from their own facility. So they have to move to a co-location or, or build their own suite. And therefore you're needing more space in data centers. So data centers are very uh, uh, popular now. I mean, they've always been popular, but, but right now they are, they're all operating at capacity. They're all building a lot of new facilities throughout the country. Uh, and they're all vying for the same tenants, you know, so people, uh, a lot of businesses have a lot of options now, especially managed services companies are popping up all over the place now, too, because a lot of these smaller businesses are doing online and they don't have the proper IT staff to handle their online business. So you have to hire management services. Managed services need to have spaces for the servers. So they're, they're, they're renting more co-location spaces and, and in some instances buying their own. So, yes. Uh, that is one of the bigger trends right right now. Online business, online services, they are the move, especially, you know, right now we're having to be going through this coronavirus thing that's going on. And, and that's sure. a prime example of online businesses now and online services. I mean, if you can't do your business online, you really don't have a business. So uh, a lot of people are having to ramp up really, really fast on this. And so they're going to these managed services companies to help them out and try to figure out what they need to do and they need to do it, do it quickly. Sure. Well, Horace, is there anything else that you would like to add before we finish up here today? You know, there's probably, I'm sure I probably missed a lot of things or probably could have detailed things a little bit better, but you know, as I'm kind of whipping this stuff off the top of top of my head, that's all I could come up with at the time. But I'll bet you 15 minutes after we stop this, I'll probably say, oh, I should have mentioned that. I should have mentioned this. But I think I covered it for the most part. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks, Horace. Thanks, Emily. Have a good day. You too. That's all for this week's episode of the Safety Task Force podcast. Thanks for listening and be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at BeastAgentWM. 